am praying that when my life is over here, that the things I put out on social media and I got, you know, I've been fortunate enough to author or co-author three books and I put out all kinds of other little booklets. Um, you know, if they fall into the hands or into the minds of people uh, beyond my lifetime, uh, then that's what I'm talking about, good stewardship. You know, I, I don't need to measure it. It's not that for me to measure it. Uh, the, God, the God I serve will measure it. But it's up for me when I stand before him. Uh, I want him to hear those two words. I want to hear those two words that are kind of mostly just heard in the steakhouse, you know. Well done. You're listening to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast with Sarah Kinzer and Hector Martinez, part of the TCD Podcast Network. All right. Well, hey, welcome. I forgot I was going to do the intro. Uh, welcome to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast. Uh, my name is Hector, and I'm here with my co-host, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hey, hey. Hey, and today we have Carrie Willis with us. Hey, Carrie. Hello, Hector. Hello, Sarah. Hey. hey. Welcome to the show. It's all joy, man, just to be here. Absolutely. It's great to, to have you. I know we've been trying to do this episode for a little while, and uh, just very excited to, to chat with you about uh, just how you're using social media uh, in ministry. So, If you don't know Carrie, he is a district superintendent for the Church of the Nazarene, but more, more than that, he has been my pastor and he is a friend. And so we're really excited to have you, Carrie. Beyond what you do and being my friend, tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, I'm the oldest of three sons. We were born into a family of commercial net fishermen on the Outer Banks of North Carolina. I grew up a small little quaint village island called Harker's Island. and. Um, my mother came to know the Lord when I was about six years old. My dad caved in shortly thereafter. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm a great debtor. The scripture says that those who have been given much more, much more will be required. So, But even though that sounds a lot like duty, uh, I just feel like that uh, I am a debtor. I am a debtor. And uh, I try to live my life in devotion uh, to the Lord. And so uh, I'm married. My wife is Kim, uh, 41 years now. Wow. Uh, we have two children grown, uh, Grayson, 34, uh, still single, and uh, Allison, 32. She's married to Josh. They live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we have one grand dog. Uh, which is Riley, the golden doodle. And uh, Kim and I have a younger daughter. Her name is Lucy. And uh, she is a tree and walker coonhound, five years old. Uh, so I do travel a lot. I journey a lot in my latest uh, calling. I work in the eastern Pennsylvania, South Jersey region. It's called the Philadelphia District Church of the Nazarene. and. Um, Basically, I am an itinerant preacher, is what I feel like. I'm in a different pulpit every every week, and uh, it's joyous. It's joyous. Sometimes a little road weary, 
but we do travel on our horse, which is a 24 foot RV. And so uh, we feel like we have a whole lot of Wesley and Asbury flowing through our ministry. <laughs> That's about as much as I know to tell you. I'll be glad to tell you other things, but Sarah knows everything, so she can tell you more. <laughs> I I know I know a bit. <laughs> mm. uh, so hey, Gary, what platforms are you on? What social media platforms are you on? And then what is your preferred platform? Which one do you like the best? Well, let me begin. I started with a blog, uh, which I still I call it my almost daily blog. Um, Man, I lost track. I think I've been on that about 10 years, maybe 12. And uh, one of my co-pastors um, really talked me into that when I was lead pastor, uh, where Sarah now serves at Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene in Virginia. Uh, he said, I feel like, Gary, you ought to say more than what you just say on Sundays and Bible studies. And so um, I started a blog it's called Beautiful Feet, <laughs> uh, Romans1015.blogspot.com. See how old that is? But, um, yeah, I started there uh, doing social media. And then my next platform was Twitter. I got on Twitter. Uh, then I got down on Instagram. And I held off on Facebook until COVID began in March of 2020, and I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't rationalize not being present virtually when I couldn't be present in person with people. And it's not really about me, but it's about who wears me. I wanted to make sure that I pump some light into darkness. And so those are the ones I'm on. I'm not really into TikTok uh, and some of these other uh, more more young ideas, but I may be, you know, I am north of 60 now. So um, I'm, uh, I'm probably involved as much as I need to be, but uh, I'm pretty involved and I don't let people discourage me from it at all. Uh, I feel like it's part of stewardship. Uh, I've been called to share good news. Uh, and uh, I believe not to be on social media for me, would be um, careless mm -hmm. uh, with my life. So other people don't understand that. Uh, my own daughter said one day, Dad, you post more than a teenage girl. <laughs> and I said, well, thank you, my daughter. I love teenage girls. I had a teenage girl. I take that as a great compliment. The funny thing is, I noticed that she reads a lot of what I put up. So I will keep it coming. So that's my perspective. Uh, that is a stewardship thing for me, and it gives me an opportunity to share with the world that's interested uh, the things that the Lord is flowing through my heart, mind, soul, and strength. So when you were pastoring the Harrisonburg Church, I was more active on Facebook, and you were barely on Facebook. And, and I knew you were on Instagram because of your photography background. That seemed like a natural fit for you. Um, and um, I didn't know you were on Twitter because I was not on Twitter um, at the time. So like our paths didn't ever cross online. Um, but you, 
Um, so you've, I feel like where you're most active right now is Facebook probably. Yeah, I think that's true. So we have, we have had a, it is a struggle to find people who will talk about doing ministry or living out their faith, like actively intentionally living out their faith on Facebook. Um, we have, we have found lots of people who will tell us about Twitter. We've found some about Instagram. We have someone we've talked to about TikTok and we've got other people on the schedule for um, other places, but we have talked with one online pastor that we've reported and we haven't released yet who pastors and she finds her place on Facebook as well. But most people, you know, Facebook is a, a really intimidating place. Yeah, I've been told that. I I don't concur with it. Hmm. Personally, for me, uh, I stood in front of congregations. That's pretty intimidating. Uh, live people staring back at you. When I left uh, Harrisonburg, we, you know, we had about 1,200 people attended on average. At least that's what they told me. Um, so, um, yeah, Facebook is, I don't, I don't sense the, yeah, I know what people mean by it. And I respect that they feel that way. But for me personally, I'm just, um, I really am on there because of my faith. I'm not on Facebook because of politics. I'm, I'm not even on Facebook because of social issues. Even though my faith crosses all of that, I've been called to be uh, an ambassador of King Jesus. and. I don't post anything unless I feel that I have his thumbs up. Um, so, you know, I get in some conversations, but mostly I get direct messages from people asking me to pray for them about the last thing I posted. Mm. Um, so for me, it's just become ministry to people that I know some, some I probably won't meet them until heaven. Um, but then on my blog, you know, I kept up with my blog and who was reading it. Uh, I remember at one point next to the United States, uh, the most people who were on my blog daily were from Siberia. Hmm. <laughs> so um, I, I see it as a platform uh, to to throw out seed. Some of it will fall on rocky ground. Some will fall in the briars. But enough of it falls into good soil. I'm expecting a harvest. For sure. So you talk about Carrie uh, posting to to Facebook with the thumbs up from the Lord, right? And then people talking to you. Like, does that feel natural to you? Because because it sounds like it does, but uh, just the way that you're able to to post and what you're posting. Can you share a little bit about some of the stuff that you're sharing? Yes. Before Hector, I even went on social media. Well, before let's say before COVID. I was already promoting social media to pastors, big time, mm. uh, because I believe that if someone believes that virtual is real for them, then okay, it's going to be real for me. Um, I'm patient. I just like to stay in the conversation, you know. So um, any way that I can touch someone. It feels personal to me. Now, I don't take it personal. What I mean is I've learned in ministry to not take it personal. 
I wish I had learned that a long time ago, but to be honest, I've learned this in the last five years and I'm still learning it. It doesn't mean I don't give it all I have. It doesn't mean I don't care, but uh, I just quit taking it personal because that's narcissistic. You know, I've learned that uh, to make it about me is, you know, so I've only uh, unfollowed, had one person that I, I, I blocked them off my Facebook. <laughs> Sarah knows who it is uh, because they were trying to turn my thread into a political thread. And I just, that's just not who I am. And I, I, I had a lot of warnings to this person. I said, look, this is not where my Facebook page is going. Post that stuff on your own thread, not on mine. Uh, but, you know, this person had about 100 followers. I've been on a year. I've been over 3,000, I think. I don't even look. Um, so he was promoting the things he felt on my thread with my people. My people, meaning the ones who had elected to. So I, I was kind about it. I just said, you know, I, that's not my purpose. Now, I've got his phone number. He's got mine. If you want to call me, I'll talk to him. Love on him. I'm just not going to talk to people like that in front of everybody for very long right now i've had a few conversations where and i don't take it personal and uh, i've had people that disagreed with me that's fine that's fine and i just make sure i bring back a respectful comment uh to what they're saying but if it gets uh, if it gets kind of uh, off base um it's, i'm responsible to kind of handle that because this my facebook page uh but i've only had to do that once or twice some of the people came back in line and i said okay they understood what i was saying uh so i don't want it to be a, a debate forum but i want it to be a conversation forum is yeah. that no kind that's of helpful no that's so good i uh for uh, i think the the word i i think of is hospitable like that's very hospitable yeah. to say this is a space that I am opening up. And yes, Facebook is, is the medium, but I'm opening up this space. Um, and to be hospitable is to protect the people that you've invited into that space and, and protect that culture that you're trying to uh, to create. So I just that that's the word that I uh, just came to mind. And, and, and just in my heart is, is seeing is some somebody who takes that place and even how you you quickly mentioned that if somebody sees online is real then it's your responsibility to see that as real for them as well and maybe not for you and to to if you have not internalized it that yet i'm speaking to our listeners um but for yeah to be able to to treat it as such and to um to welcome people into that space that's beautiful well philosophically um, people who know me know this. Um, my life will be my argument mm. over the long haul. Uh, I will have conversations with people to to try and hear what they're saying, let them hear what I'm saying, uh, but to a certain point. And then I say, um, I'm not in this conversation uh, to really win or lose. I'm just in the conversation. And obviously, we don't see alike. So let my life be my argument over the long haul. And it'll either prove yes or no whether what I was saying uh, was worth hearing. The other thing is with um, virtual, uh, that's not a new idea. You know, 
Oswald Chambers, you know, uh, greatest devotional of all time. Maybe he met 50 of the people that ever heard what he had to say. <laughs> and still over the generations, that the stuff that he put out to people he couldn't see, uh, he could never talk to, still bearing fruit. I mean, I visited his grave in Egypt because I wanted to, to bring Thanksgiving to this man who had discipled me, a man I never met. So uh, I am praying that when my life is over here, that the things I put out on social media and I got, you know, I've been fortunate enough to author or co-author three books and I put out all kinds of other little booklets. Um, you know, if they fall into the hands or into the minds of people uh, beyond my lifetime, uh, then that's what I'm talking about, good stewardship. You know, I, I don't need to measure it. Mm. It's not that for me to measure it. Uh, the, God, the God I serve will measure it. But it's up for me when I stand before him. Uh, I want him to hear those two words. I want to hear those two words that are kind of mostly just heard in a steakhouse, you know. Well done. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I'm really, honestly, the Facebook stuff is not personal but it is about my life, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, being exhausted during my lifetime uh, for the name of Jesus. Yeah, that's uh, so you're obviously in ministry. And so can you share a little bit, maybe some encouragement to someone who might say, you know, well, I'm not in ministry, so I don't know that I could use Facebook for that. Or I don't know that I could use those features that are available. Um, you know, do you think that anyone can do the, the things that you're doing and, and using Facebook for? Well, obviously, we all have different callings and different giftings. And uh, I wouldn't suppose that anyone could do exactly what I do. <laughs> on Facebook or anywhere else. <laughs> uh, and that probably shouldn't be their goal. That would be uh, not very lofty. But uh, I believe what I'm doing is out of obedience. Um, but it's not just on Facebook. Uh, Facebook is where the Lord has entrusted me to go beyond my own family, uh, the people that are my neighbors, the people that I meet eyeball to eyeball. So um, social media to me is not a bully pulpit. It's just more relationship. Um, and so everyone is not cut out to do the same thing. But I would say that those who just curse the darkness of social media, they probably ought to just light a candle. That's just, that's my opinion. Because I do believe one day Social media and what I did or didn't do with it, I will give an account for it. So maybe I'm a little bit radical, maybe even off the off the ledge a little, but that's how I feel about it. It's not a sense of guilt. I don't do it out of guilt. But uh, when I stand before the Lord, uh, I want him to say, you were real radical about relationship with me and getting others in relationship with me. And I tell people when they say, Pastor, I see you on uh, Facebook a lot. I say, yeah, I'm pumping light in darkness as quick as I can. I'm, I'm pumping light in darkness. Because we, we sing songs like, you know, just one little candle can 
you know, dispel all the darkness. So I don't curse the darkness. I just light my candle. I, I think that goal of being or the thought about being radical, the algorithm on Facebook, like it hypes up the radical, you know, like the more that you can aim for being radically, and I don't mean radically as in like off that off your rocker. That's not what I mean. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to think I'll of, take it. <laughs> but I mean, like if you are able to gain the attention of people, then Facebook will show you to more people. And so like, and the idea of like, instead of cursing the darkness, light a little light, because if those things aren't there, then they won't get clicked on. And if they aren't clicked on, then the darkness is continuously clicked on. And it's just going to get darker and darker and darker because that's the way the algorithm works. And yeah, so I like it, to put myself, yeah, put myself between the person clicking and the darkness. Yeah. That's what I'm trying trying to do, really. Yeah, I've never heard it said quite like you said it, but uh, honestly, that's part of it because there's a lot of options. Mm-hmm. And I hope that my stuff keeps coming up yeah and it and it dissuades people from going into darkness uh you know maybe i just it's like a a throwing a a nail strip in front of a speeding car you know uh that's going to go over the ledge and they they just don't know it Uh, the other thing for me is i am truly wesleyan in my doctrine i mean wesley doesn't have a corner on jesus i'm just saying my philosophy is that of john and charles wesley their mission was, the world is my parish. Uh, many people, many ministers are content just to serve the ones they can see, uh, they run into at the post office, uh, they come to their church, they go to their coffee shop. Well, okay, but the Lord just won't let me get by with that. It's like the world is my parish. Uh, I'm responsible not just for my zip code, which I have several of those now, but I'm not just responsible for my zip code, but I am in some way responsible for the world. I mean, I'm a debtor to the world because of what, that's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I am a debtor to the Jew, to the Gentile, basically everyone. And that's in Romans chapter one. That's how I, it's out of debt. It's I can never get it paid off, <laughs> but the idea is I'm not I'm not working to pay it off. It's a debt of love I owe, and I, I think what if I'm that one person out there in social media uh, who has not heard, who has not seen, who if I'm that person. So I think when I'm on social media, I'm practicing the golden rule. I wish someone would tell me. Yeah. Who hope is. Yes. Know? Yeah. I um I recently we're we're about to present the online ministry and, and kind of how people can jump in and help and, and that was really the thought that I shared of what you're saying of you know there there is someone who either has an idea of who church or who God is. Um and if we can be different from that idea and, and be consistent with that. Uh, there are people who have no idea who God is or what church is or what goes on in a church. Uh, there are people that are oblivious to that, even here in, in America, right? I, I love that. Just the, the, the aim to be 
in front of people and be among people um, to just offer the example of Jesus and to offer a, a moment, a, a glimpse of hope that hopefully they now know where to return to. Um, I just, I'm encouraged by that. And Sarah shared with me that you, you pastor pastors as well, um, that you have this, this, uh, place that you're you're doing that work and that's a, a huge need we've talked to pastors on the show we've talked to pastors on online and we've seen the conversation and we know that that need is is huge as well we know that pastors they're feeling increasingly isolated and unpastored um, and so we've also seen that social media has been a huge blessing where a lot of these men and women who are pastoring can feel like they're being shepherded as well. Um, how have you seen social media and has it been able to enable you to do some of this as well? Oh, yes. <laughs> That's all I can say is, oh, yes, to everything you said. Um, yeah, I, I, have been blessed to have mentors in my life and I still have uh, three to five that I, you know, I stay in contact with. I just picked up a new one uh, who, who was part of my life when I was a young boy and he went and did other things. I went and did other things. His father was a huge influence in my life. And now uh, he came back into my life uh, just this past weekend. And uh, he knows and I know that he's going to be a mentor to me. Um, a new mentor from an old friendship. Um, he's in another tribe, you know, of church. We say we haven't crossed uh, paths, but uh, his life trajectory, uh, he's older than me. Uh, his life trajectory uh, is a lot akin to mine, <laughs> a lot. So uh, I've already booked him to come and be with me. Uh, you know, up in uh, New Jersey. So uh, when you've been mentored, uh, you don't say no when people ask you. Um, so I don't know how many people would officially say that I'm mentoring them. But in some fashion, I mean, this is going to sound like way too many, but it's probably conservative. About 25, uh, that probably, uh, in, and I let them determine how much mentorship they need and whether they even want to call it that. But what the reason I say yes is it's not just for them. Because uh, anyone who doesn't know that a mentor gets as much out of the relationship as the protege, I call it. Mentee is the word now. Which we didn't use that word back in the day. So uh, as a protege, when I have these young people that they call me their mentor, uh, I tell them, I remind them over and over, uh, I may need you more than you need me. Um, so it's an iron sharpening iron kind of a thing, you know, uh, which when I was in ministry, I think Sarah will back me up. I didn't have associate pastors. I just don't, I don't like the title. <laughs> I had partners. Uh, so they were alongside me in ministry. Now I had to make some decisions when things got difficult. But um, I, I never, ever remember introducing people as this is my associate. <laughs> I, I don't know. It makes it sound like, you know, I'm more important in the relationship than they are. 
So um, uh, on social media, and of course, I text a lot, which doesn't get a lot of credit anymore. <laughs> um, but uh, I probably text conservatively uh, 200 people a week. Wow. Conservatively. <laughs> I'm vigilant. Uh, I'm a shepherd. I'm still a shepherd. And um, I have balance in my life. I have margins in my life. Uh, but I have a very abstract mindset, which helps me with this. <laughs> I'm not a concrete person. Um, but I don't wait for someone to text me. Uh, some people say, well, I'm not texting people anymore because nobody ever texts me. Well, uh, of the 200 text conversations I have going on, 190 of them I probably instigated. I didn't wait for somebody to ask me a question or how are you? And uh, so I don't know that texting counts in social media anymore, but it's virtual kind of, right? I mean, but what's the difference? Used to they have pen pals, you know, and they, they wrote letters from China to the United States and they thought they were the best of friends, you know? So uh, any form of communication to me is a tool, uh, is a tool uh, for me to be better at relationship building. I got a little bit at your question there, Brother Hector, but maybe Sarah will line me up and let me uh, ask me the specifics. I think about like Heather Thompson Day sends out a weekly remind, which is like the group text app, basically. And so, I mean, there there are people using those tools in that way and absolutely considering them to be social social media or social ministry tools. I do know, like Carrie said, you know, Sarah will back me up. I'll, I'll back him up on this. Like when I first came to our church, I had a lot of questions. He agreed to let me email him and ask my questions. And I don't ask, but I've gotten so much better. I'm so much better. Praise the Lord. I am not who I was, but I now can ask a question in under 20 minutes. <laughs> but I used to send him these just super, 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 super long emails. And he accepted those emails and would reply. And it didn't take him, but, you know, one paragraph to, to spin me around and send me right back to the word to be like, hang on, now I've got to go pull apart everything I just put together to ask you and ask a new question. And it was probably, he, he agreed to do that. And he actually said, I will, I will email with you, but eventually you have to go have this conversation with somebody else who was very like, a very learned person, you know, he has all, he's got all the answers at the end of all of this. Like I had, my theology had shifted a great deal and I was better for it. And I went to sit down and have this conversation with the other, the other guy. And he was like, well, I don't have any, I have nothing to basically offer you theologically, like at, you're right in line. And, but both of us agreed that what we needed, he and I, the other guy and I are more similar in like, I don't know, content, mind style, maybe. And, but both of us said we needed someone who was more like Carrie, who was just like an easy faith and could just answer you in a, in a, in a paragraph of just, you know, I just trust. And I take God at his word when he says this. And he, he stayed and emailed with me for easily a year, easily a year. And that's not so different than conversations that happen in DMs or, you know, things, things of that nature. I did want to kind of circle way back around. You had said, you know, people talk about the darkness, you know, 
you can look at all the different platforms and find their problems. Like Instagram feeds insecurity and comparison and TikTok and YouTube can just show you some real inappropriate stuff. And not to mention how addictive short form video is. And and I think sometimes like Twitter is like that floating island in Gulliver's Travels, which was like full of smart people, but they didn't have any common sense or compassion. <laughs> you know, I love, I love Twitter. Everybody I know on Twitter has compassion and common sense. Yeah, full disclaimer. So, yeah, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> other people on Twitter, the ones I don't know, I've heard, you know, on Facebook, the they'll say like the divisive nature of the algorithm and the trouble with misinformation and, and fights that break out with friends and family, like your neighbors and your actual blood family. Like I can hear how you say like that, that stuff doesn't maybe not get to you because it, you don't let it impact you. Like you're not going to find yourself in those situations because you have protected your heart and you're leading after the Lord. You're following him through it. But do those things, do they worry you? Do they worry you for our people? Do they worry you for the church? Like, do you have, like my heart breaks over that stuff. How does, does that stuff worry you? Well, it's the world. Uh, the world is prone to darkness. And in my opinion, I just have a little different way that I look at it. If the world is getting darker, that's the church's fault. That's the way I look at it. Because we are the light of the world. And uh, I know that that's a very abstract, you know, first grade level way of looking at it, you know, can't we all just get along? Uh, maybe it sounds like that, but, but, but honestly, um, the scripture says that if my people uh, who are called by my name, you know, uh, will humble themselves and pray. So uh, I feel that not only do I have a responsibility to not let that deter me, but uh, I have a desire to get the light as bright as I can from where I'm standing. Uh, but I have had all of that through ministry face to face with people. So what's happening on Facebook? Yeah. Some people will say more things because they're not, they're talking to their screen instead of, I understand all of that, but most of us are that way. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned, but not any more concerned than I am about anything else that's dark in the world, you know? We live in a dark world. It's, you know, it's going to hell in a handbasket. It's been that way ever since Cain slew Abel. Um, uh, and and I, I'm not surprised by it. Is it the darkest it's ever been in the world? I don't know. I think it's probably the darkest since I've been alive. <laughs> but I just don't know if it's a, is it as dark as when the Romans were throwing the Christians to the lions. I, I don't think so. Maybe. But uh yeah, I, I don't like to see the, the family of God bickering, but I raised a family as well. So my son and my daughter are about as far apart as you can raise two children in the same home. Uh, their perspectives are so different on so many different things. But I heard something long ago that even when your kids grow up, parents are still the greatest influence in their life. So you know what? I'm staying in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And guess what? The older my kids get, the more they're coming together as one. So uh, 
people are that way. I mean, people are that way. We're in a divisive world. I, I don't have my head stuck, stuck in the ground like an ostrich who forgot where its egg was. I understand that it's divisive. But I just feel like I got the matches, man. So <laughs> here comes Carrie with the light. I, but you, you I, I'm not in denial. But do I lose sleep over it? Not really, unless I'm praying through the night, which that can happen. But um, I know that God, I'm sheltered, really, even with all I know. Think what God knows. <laughs> think, think about what he knows that's really going on in the world. So as long as he doesn't take his Holy Spirit from us, I still believe that, I believe there's going to be a great awakening. I just, you know, I <laughs> I just, I want to live that way. Uh, so we'll see. Maybe I'm just optimistic. Grace makes me optimistic, you know, so I have an excuse for that. Uh, so your question is valid. I get asked that all the time in different ways. But I'm not going to be discouraged because darkness seems to be winning. Arguing seems to be uh, the posture of our day. Um, yeah, it, it's painful, I suppose, but I don't have enough time to worry about it. I, I'm just trying to say, it's like if your house is on fire, you just get the water hose as quick as you can get over there. That, that's kind of what I might, might be more like a fireman than anything else. But yeah, these are, these are good questions. They're, they're valid. And if I should be bothered more, pray that I will be. But I think the things I post speak into what I'm thinking about where we're at. Yeah, you are definitely authentically you on Facebook. And that's really good. So coming up to this, when I know that I have someone who will talk about Facebook, I found a thing about Facebook that I hadn't really spent much time thinking about until this past week. And we had for our staff meeting this, this month, we went and visited some people, took flowers and sang them Christmas songs and things like that. And my group was, went to go visit this, this couple who have been at our church for several decades, you know, and faithful active members, but now he has cancer and he's, I think 91 or 92, she's about 88 and they are home and, you know, they'll, they'll likely never step foot back in the physical church again. And I knew that going out there. And then when we went out there and they were talking to us and the wife shared, she says, you know, I get on, I get on Facebook every week. I get on Facebook every week and watch. And she says, and, and, and if there's any trouble, I know I can go over to YouTube and I can pull it up on YouTube and I can watch it there. And you think, you know, like this 88, 88 year old woman is just like, I get on Facebook and then I get on YouTube and we get it figured out. And I cut and she attends digitally faithfully. And there before all, before all of COVID, I think everybody just assumed that social media was for kids. But I think with COVID and everything, it's, it has pressed older people to become more familiar with these technological tools. And it's, really opened up a way to care for these people who were previously, um, this wouldn't have been a method that you could have reached them with very, very easily. But also when everything shut down, 
I would hear people say, well, we've got to get people back in person because Sunday, for some people, Sunday is the only community they have. And that broke my heart because if Sunday was the only community they had, we were not doing it right already. Like that was a problem. And so if we can give them like, there will be people who are chronically ill or who cannot come for a season because of injury or who are in a situation like this couple where it is their, they have, they have served our church for decades faithfully. And if they didn't have these, these tools and these connections, um, you know, they would just maybe go for quite some time with no connection to the church. And how lonely would that be? And in the past week, I've gotten a lot of feedback from different pastors and, and people in churches all over the country who say, yes, like we have seen that as well. Like, and uh, one, one person told me that her, her mother used, when she used to go into the physical church, the effort to get up and get herself dressed and then to get there and like, you have hearing troubles and, and all the activity that was there, it was completely draining for her just to even get into her chair. But now she says, my mom watches online and she is singing and she is laughing and she is so engaged in what is happening and she's doing it in her pajamas in the living room. And it's, it has changed the game for, for people who would have gone unseen. Oh, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I, you know, uh, people get in these arguments, for example, I'm using this as an example. Well, our church is about making disciples, not evangelism. I'm like, I'm sorry. Why can't you be both? I, this is what drives me a little bit bonkers, is people got to take sides on everything. Uh, you know what? We can still meet in person and we can still be virtual. And we don't have to guilt the people who are being virtual, who a year and a half ago, we were begging to be virtual. Uh, let's let them decide. I, you know, Now, I think there is something extra about us coming together in real personal life. Sure, I do. Yes. But I, I don't understand why, why we get into these either or when we can have both and. Um, and it, it reminds me of a story I heard years ago. And I tell a lot of stories because I don't know if you know, but Jesus never spoke publicly without telling a story. So, uh, so anyway, uh, there was this, uh, this woman who had, she was a young girl. She'd grown up in the church on the East coast. Uh, she, she lost her way. She ended up over there where Hector is on the West coast. That just happened to be where she ended up. She was a runaway. She was lost from her family. Uh, she became a prostitute. Uh, she sadly got AIDS. And uh, she called her mom one night. And Dad said, I'm dying, you know, in my apartment uh, in in a really dark alley. And uh, I'm dying without Jesus. And, well, they prayed with her. They did all they could do. And then they got on the phone and they found a pastor who lived Within driving distance of where their daughter was, he agreed to go to the address and uh, and to find her. And he found her apartment. He knocked on the door, just one candle on the table. Um, and she said, please come in. She was literally on her deathbed. The whole room was dark. <laughs> um, he talked with her. He prayed with her. 
he led her to Christ. Um, he left. He called the parents. I think it was like a week later, the pastor got a call that the lady had died. Young lady had died. He helped in the arrangements of getting her taken care of with the family, getting her body back to the East Coast, all of that. And years later, um, the pastor was preaching one day. And at the end of the service, this lady walked up to him and, uh, and acted like she knew him. <laughs> And he was like, do we know each other? She said, well, I know you. You don't know me. She said, do you remember coming to an apartment in a real dark alley one night and uh, praying at the bedside of a young girl who was dying of AIDS? He said, yes. She said, I was in the other corner of the room. <laughs> and I prayed the prayer as well. And from that day to this, God changed my life from darkness to light. So, you know, that was kind of virtual, <laughs> right? I mean, he never saw her face to face. He, you know, so I'm going to let the Holy Spirit <laughs> do all the measuring of what I put out. But I fully expect when I'm in heaven, literally, I believe in a literal heaven, <laughs> I believe that one day uh, Jesus might walk up with some folk and say, hey, Carrie, uh, sit down, listen to their story. Uh, and uh, I don't do it for that reason, but I kind of do it for that reason, uh, because I I want to enlarge the I want to enlarge hell and I mean enlarge heaven and shrink hell uh, if any way possible. And the only way that happens is to pump light during my lifetime. Uh, it's, it's the only thing I can give uh, a, a report on is my lifetime. So sometimes I wish I had omnipresence and <laughs> I feel like I could accomplish so much more. Uh, but, uh, but the idea is one little candle, that's social media for me. I don't really think much beyond it. Um, occasionally, you know, I, I don't really stay away from the tough topics. I just address them in a way that is not argumentative. You know, it's not, uh, I'm tender. I make it about me. I don't make it about you. So during all the racial pain that we've suffered this year, I had some testimonials. <laughs> I talked about Carrie and some things I needed to do right and, and needed help with. And when I preach, most people don't pick up on this, but I rarely say you. I usually say we. Um, I think that's huge in preaching. Now, sometimes I say you, sometimes it has to be something really important, but mostly it's us or it's me. Would someone like to join me in prayer after this message? <laughs> I, I, the, the preacher was spoken to by the spirit. If anybody else got help out of it, good. Uh, that's just, that's true. It's just the way I live my life. So uh, that, that story though, I can never get past it. I don't know who else is listening. Yeah. You think about this. Some people let you know how your Facebook or your Instagram or your Twitter or your blog affected them. So think of all the people in Siberia <laughs> who, who have not let you know. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm just saying there's a lot of freedom in that. There's just a lot of freedom. Yeah. Some things I just don't 
have the answer for. And I tell people, uh, long ago, I said, I don't have to be right all the time. I just have to be righteous. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't, sometimes I don't know the answer. If I don't, I tell people, I don't have a clue. <laughs> yeah. I think the, um, the, the thing that like, I hear you talking about the we and the us. And then I think about um, this, this couple that I got to sit down with this past week is that the, the opportunity for we and us grows with social media. Um, Like those, those people are able to be in community when they wouldn't. And so that, and then if you're, able to go and sit with them and have that in-person community like it is changing the way I think about um that what is the definition what does it mean to be the church does it mean to to pull off a Sunday morning or does it mean more than that and um because there are people who are um there are people alive right now. I can talk about the people who are alive hundreds of years ago who didn't have a church around and they did their whole, their whole faith without being able to read, you know, in their own house in the woods. But there are people alive right now who don't have a church. You know, they are, they are Christians. They have, they're not going to a Sunday service because there isn't one for them to go to. Um, And if, um, you know, we are, we are able to reach more people, people who are, who would have to go hours, you know, or who it's not safe for them to be in a service. Um, and, and to think about how, how the realities of um, what the, the gift that is technology, what it allows the church to do, how it better equips us to care for the for the we that is the church yes and and some people say we but they mean you and and uh you know everybody that has any bit of discernment knows that so when i use we is genuine i want it to be genuine i used to have a, a vacation bible school teacher which was not my favorite i'll be just be honest it was just my favorite because she would say things to me, now, Carrie, is this what we should be doing? She, she didn't mean we, she meant Carrie, you know. Yeah. So she should just say my name, you know. So I read a lot of stuff, mostly on Twitter, uh, <laughs> when people are saying we are this and we are that. And I read four or five of their other posts. So they're not saying we, they're saying you. So, you know, people know when when you're, when you're, when you're, preaching at them instead of you know join we need to disarm folk and but you know george hunter who wrote the celtic way of evangelism which is a great book it's an old book 25 years old but it's a great book the celtic way of evangelism um he said and you heard me sarah say this a thousand times probably in church uh i want our meeting on sunday morning i want our church service to be a safe place to hear the dangerous message of the gospel. Um, And the hardest thing for me to leave uh, when I left the local church were those people who were still considering Christ under my ministry. They had been coming week after week after week, over year, over year, over year, sitting in the back cubicle, 
uh, and they had not yet surrendered their life to the Lord, but they were still listening. They were still listening. And that was the greatest compliment to me was that I knew they were not walking in any of the light that they had heard me preach, but they wanted to stay in the conversation. They thought maybe today Pastor Kerry will convince me, you know, um, and some of them came up to me on my last Sunday. I knew who they were and they knew who they were. They lost a friend, you know, I mean, in, in real time because they knew that I had told many of them, I preach, but I can't decide for you. But I hope you'll hang around <laughs> and stay in the conversation. So um, I think patience, you know, we're in Advent right now. You know, Advent, while we're recording this at least. And, um, uh, you know, all of life is Advent. You know, it's waiting. And I think that one thing we lack uh, as believers, we, I mean me, I'm asking God to increase it in my life is patience. I mean, you hear people, Christians say, don't pray for patience. Oh, you better pray for patience because that's part of the fruit of the spirit in Galatians five. Um, we're just not patient. Uh, we just, we, 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 we just need patience to me. Patience, another word for surrender. <laughs> um, so uh, we need to be patient with souls. Now the Lord, you know, knows when time runs out, but, uh, we're not in control of that. We need to stay in the conversation. Um, and the only way to do that is genuinely make yourself a part of the we. I mean, because when people pick up that you're talking code language uh, to really talk to them, um, I don't think I took too many shots from the pulpit. I'm sure I took a few. I'm sure there were some people that were driving me out of my brain. And I said, I'm going to get them. But I can only remember one time I did that. One time. And uh, I felt bad about it. But the Lord forgave me. I don't think the person picked up on it. <laughs> so I learned it wasn't good and it didn't work. Um, but I remember there was one person just trying to exercise control of the church. You know, just it was a real, it was a really rebellious kind of a thing. Uh, uh, it was hard for me, maverick kind of an idea. And I, I, right in the service one day, I spoke, uh, uh, see, I still remember it. That's why I don't want to repeat it. Uh, I spoke a line that was probably, I was airmailing them is what we call it. <laughs> you know, I was I was aiming straight for them. And boy, I, I, was, I asked the Lord forever to forgive me. If they had hinted at all that they picked up on that, I would apologize to them. But they never did. I got around them and I don't think it even bothered them, uh, bothered me more. So I quit doing it. But I remember what I said. And you might remember this comment because a lot of people remember me saying this from the pulpit, which I wish they did. But uh, but I said, it's a true statement. It's just I was airmailing and it wasn't right. Um, the statement was some people would rather be in charge of nothing to be than to be part of something. Mm. <laughs> I was talking about that person. I really was. Um, and and uh, so so I'm saying I'm glad that I took a whooping over that statement. I've used the statement a lot since, but never vindictively, you know, yeah. just to teach people. But some people would rather be uh, in charge of nothing than be part of something. Um, uh, but 
what I'm saying is I don't want to airmail people unless it's good news. <laughs> if it's something really good, I want them to feel like he spoke that straight to me. Now I had some people who would stop me in the in the foyer and say, Pastor Kerry, were you preaching to me this morning? I had no clue what they were talking about. Now that's anointed preaching. You know, the Holy Spirit knows who's there and what they're dealing with. But uh, the Holy Spirit does read your mail, but the preacher does not. Uh, so, um, yeah, I don't know. Thanks for letting me go on that little trail there. Uh, but, you know, all Sarah's thought, thought she got me thinking that way. <laughs> well, you get me thinking a lot. You've had we conversations with me where where it was pretty clear I was the only one. But like, you felt, I hope, loved in it. No, yes. I mean, mostly yeah, one yeah. I think most of is is before it predates my going to Twitter. And we had a conversation about social media and you said, you know, that you don't talk people into things by yelling at them. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and people talk about you uh, in real time uh, based on what you put on social media. Yeah. I mean, I've learned that. Yeah. Uh, it can be good or bad or indifferent. But, you know, so so if we put it out there. We have to be responsible for it, right? Yeah. Well, I think I I don't even know how to ask the last two questions, Sarah. We normally ask these questions, but I think you have have, have exemplified those two two questions in, in the physical world and in a lot of, of what we've talked about of um, just the attitude to have on online. I, I will tell you this. I have been blessed by this conversation. My heart is encouraged. Um, my soul is encouraged uh, to to not just talk about online ministry, but to to hear someone talk about it with a, a pastoral heart, um, with with the tenderness of Jesus, um, and with the the future vision, right? The the ability to see out and to see. Um, one of my favorite stories um, is Jesus knowing he had initiated rest with his disciples. And as he gets across the water and the people have come, he looks out and he sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd and he has great compassion over them. And out of their weariness, he invites his disciples to step into this thing, this powerful, powerful moment where in abundance, he gives out of abundance. And it's not just about feeding the 5,000 out of the, the, the fish and loaves, which is a great miracle. But I think the miracle was that out of weariness, even weariness that uh, and rest that Jesus has initiated, that he called his disciples into a ministry of compassion for people in all circumstances. And, and I, I hear that same tender and compassionate heart as you speak about how you want to walk whether online, in person, across the desk from somebody, um, or as you just shared, 10 years removed from your own preaching. Um, I love that and I've been so, so encouraged. My hope is that in a month or a year or 10 years from now, as someone's listening, um, us or someone that we will never hear Yes, that they're encouraged by the light and the hope and the love of Christ that I, I have been blessed by today. So thank you. Thank you, Hector. Thank you. And um, 
you ever thought about it this way? You, you made me think of this. Um, people read what you write or they hear what you say. Uh, they're a little bit fearful to meet you in person because your, your writing and your speaking has been such a ministry to them that they're worried that if they meet you, it'll be a letdown. You know, mm. I do not want to be that kind of a writer or a speaker. I want them to meet me and that be bigger than anything I wrote or spoke that they would, I would be a carrier of Christ, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll end with this. I know it's probably going longer, but I have a dear friend who was a very accomplished musician. His name is Jim Cole. Uh, Jim Cole, for lack of a better definition, is the James Taylor of Christian music. Uh, if you hear them saying they sound alike, they play the guitar alike, they talk alike, they even kind of look alike, but they're genuinely themselves. I mean, Jim didn't try to sound like James Taylor. He just does. Uh, but James Taylor was, uh, and still is, uh, uh, a real hero to Jim Cole. Um, and so uh, Jim Cole had the opportunity to meet James Taylor. And uh, they they have a, a guitar builder, Olson, in Indiana, builds their guitars. And the guitar builder said, I want to introduce you, Jim Cole, to James Taylor. And Jim Cole said, Kerry, I was afraid to meet him. I did not want to meet James Taylor because his life and his music had impacted me in such beautiful ways. I was afraid if I met him, he'd be a jerk, you know. And uh, so he said he remembers in Nashville uh, when he met him. Uh, he was with the guitar maker, Olson, and and Jim's coming in. He said, I looked and I saw James Taylor coming. <laughs> I was nervous, you know, as all get out. And, uh, and he said... Uh, something happened while we were together. He said, first he came up to me and Jim Olson said, James, this is Jim. I've been telling you about him. I wanted to introduce you to him. And, and he said, you so you're Jim Cole, are you? And Jim said, uh, yes. He said, every town I go in, somebody gives me one of your CDs mm. <laughs> and says, have you listened to Jim Cole? He said, I'm glad to meet you. And he said, wow, I exhaled, but it's not over yet. And that could just be an introductory, you know, niceness. He said, and then we were backstage and James Taylor's getting ready to put a big concert on that night. And you have to wear your credentials, you know, around your neck. Well, everybody had their credentials around their neck except James Taylor. <laughs> and he said, come on, Jim, uh, let's you and Olsen go to my bus and we'll have a little snack. And he said, we were walking and the band was behind us. and Everybody's going to the buses to have a little snack. And he said, this security guard is standing there. He went behind the ears, you know, security guard. And he stops James Taylor. And he said, sir, you can't pass this area without credentials. Well, everybody laughed, you know, a very uncomfortable, awkward laugh because uh, this security guard has no idea. He's talking to the artist <laughs> who was going to perform that night. And he said, Kerry, I was so proud of James Taylor. He said he took that young security guard, put his arm around him, drew him over to the side and whispered something into his ear. And then we all went to the bus. And when we got on the bus, I said, James, so, you know, basically, what did you say to the security guard? He said, I'm James Taylor. <laughs> and he said, uh, I want to thank you for doing your job. Mm -hmm. 
he said, I knew in that moment that uh, I could I could rest, that all that James Taylor had brought into my life was real. <laughs> so uh, I want to, that story really challenged me when I heard it about 15 years ago. And uh, I hope that when people meet me, if they meet me in person, it won't be a disappointment. I pray it'll be a delight. Um, and that Jesus will be the light of the delight. Yeah. So mm -hmm. uh, when you were talking, uh, thanks for inspiring me. I, I needed to tell that story somewhere. <laughs> the The last two questions were just in, in the stories he told. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I will, um, I will say this in, in conclusion and wrapping it up, you know, Carrie, you said that, that I'm, I'm smart, almost too smart for my own good. And I mean, you've said that to me several years ago and, you know, it occurred to me like smart, being smart and being witty, um, or clever, you know, those aren't fruit of the spirit. So at some point I would rather be known by something else than being smart well, it's what you've been entrusted with. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? It's like people who are trusted with beauty. You know, beauty is not a fruit of the Spirit either. But the Lord entrusted you with something a lot of people won't be able to turn in to fruit. Uh, so I have this talk with really smart people and really beautiful people. Neither of which I was entrusted with. <laughs> But it is a gift. It's like Esther, you know. It's an Esther kind of idea. So mm -hmm. I want you to know that's how I mean it. Is that that's sort of the talk I've had with Brian? You make a better Esther than Brian. <laughs> but uh, the idea is that you've been entrusted with something that a lot of people, honestly, I don't think have been entrusted with. And I picked up on that really quick. Well, I'm real. But, for a long time, I was very sure to make sure that people picked up on it. You know, it was very important to me that people thought I was smart. It was very yeah. important to me that people thought I was right. Um, and so, well, and, um, but when the, the question that I, you know, the, when I had talked about you saying, um, when I talked about you saying um, about people don't change because you yell at them to change, you know, it, there are, if, there are people who have given me feedback since that conversation and they describe me as kind. And for the bulk of my life, people describe me as smart or good with words and, um, or um, sure she was right about everything. Um, you know, th those sort of things. But to hear people describe me as kind is to hear that they see Jesus in me. And that, that like, so when, when people listen to you, like what I want them to hear is like, if you know me and you think I am kind, it is because of the work of Christ in my life. And the, and I would only, I, I am open to that work because of the influence of Carrie. And I appreciate that. And, the, and, and I am better for it. So I appreciate well, I have I have been nice before. Yeah. And sometimes nice is necessary. <laughs> but nice is a sorry substitute for kind. 
Yeah. Uh, nice is something I work at. Uh, kindness is something that is in my inheritance as a belonger to Jesus, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so the kindness is something that if we belong to him exclusively, uh, it, it's in us. Mm-hmm. And uh, it will find its way out. And uh, But sometimes, uh, I mean, I would rather someone be nice than be ugly. <laughs> but I can tell when someone's being nice and when they're being kind. I think nice is what we do and kind is who we be. Um, so just relax in that. And uh, kindness is all through you. And just let it flow. Well, thank you so much for for your time today, Carrie. It really has been uh, a blessing. And I've been looking forward to this conversation just as Sarah and I have kept talking about uh, just having you on. And and, uh, I can say with great confidence that it's exactly what what I needed today. And I know when it comes out, I'm hoping it will be as well. But just just a treat to, to have a conversation with you about social media. Um, about a social media platform that many people um, want to keep at arm's length and don't think that it's worth their time. Um, but thank you so much for, for being with us today. And Sarah, do you have any last words? Just thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, if you get at the bottom of the barrel in the future, uh, I am not necessary, but I am available. <laughs> <laughs> thank you uh well thanks everyone so much for listening to the uh the pocket pulpit and we'll see you next time